0: Good morning, my name is Jonah, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, maybe this is just practice rounds so that everyone can get my pronouns, they, them, theirs, and uh, I am the lead pastor here at Zao MKE Church, it's so wonderful to be with you all this morning um, and this pride weekend as we launch our summer series, Sunday School Horror Stories, I have been looking forward to this series since before I was a pastor because I have always had, you know, one of those things that just gets in the back of your mind where if anybody catches you at just the right moment and says just the right thing, you'll kind of launch off into this weird theory that you've had for a really long time. I have one of those. I have probably several of those. But one of them is that we have made some really poor choices about how to communicate the basics of God to children. And and it seems like our main criteria for what stories to tell children are whether those stories feature children or animals. But that ends up really badly when a lot of those stories end up in those animals dying or those those children being threatened with murder by their parents. And so we have things like Noah's Ark and Abraham and Isaac and some of these stories that are actually can be beautiful and nuanced, but have a lot of horror elements in them that we are just turning into cartoon animals that we plaster all over nurseries and and reducing these stories to actually their most problematic elements and saying, isn't it great? There's death of everyone, but also rainbows. Two by two, the animals. Don't worry about how most of them died. And so these are our Sunday school horror stories, these stories that we began with for some reason, boiled down to these disturbing elements. So we're actually going to spend the summer going into these stories, these stories that we think we know, the stories that have been told to us, some of us, over and over again. Some of us who didn't grow up in these kinds of storytelling environments still have elements of it that have leaked in from the rest of our culture, so a lot of us know things about Jonah and the whale, for instance. But again, a human being being swallowed whole by a fish and buried at the bottom of the ocean for three days is kind of scary. So we're gonna unpack that a little bit. We're gonna start with Adam and Eve and the story of the fall, because uh, again, featuring all these animals, right? We like to tell the creation story and God creating all these different animals, including the serpent, who by the way, in this original story has legs, That's weird, right? Serpent with legs who gets its legs cast off as punishment for being creepy and and then actually has to creep? It's it's pretty weird. So we're going to start here at the fall. We're going to start with this myth which is about the origins of evil. And one of the questions we have to ask ourselves whenever we encounter stories from the Bible is, what is the purpose of this story? What, What is this story trying to tell us? And what what function does it serve? Because all of these stories are meant to create a sense of narrative for us, a sense of meaning, help us make make some sort of coherent picture of the world that we live in and the God who loves us. And this story, The Fall, is about to answer the question, what is evil and where did it come from? So a story, a myth we have about the origins of evil is going to end up being kind of dark Because in other religions, in other religions that were common around the time that we were codifying these stories and saying, this is our God, this is the way our God acts in the world, there were other cultures who had many gods. And cultures with many gods got off the hook pretty easy because they were like, oh yeah, some of those gods are crap. Some of those gods are real mean. (laughs) Some of those gods are evil. Some of the gods are good. Some of the gods are evil. And so evil comes from the evil gods and, you know, it's all just kind of a mess up there. But monotheism that says there is one God, there is one God and our God is good, has then a problem. Because anybody with their eyes open looking around the world says, okay, but everything is not good. So where does that come from? And we find ourselves looking at one another and looking in the mirror and going, well, if God is good and the world has evil in it, it must've started somewhere, right? And so this is a story of where our evil comes from, where we have fallen down, and what is most bad about us. That story has been used over and over again, then, to convince people that they are ultimately bad, to keep people in a sense of shame. But we're going to unpack it in a different way today and talk about a lot of different ways to look at it, to say, hey, maybe these origins of evil Instead of making us hate ourselves, instead of inspiring us to misogyny and homophobia, as this story so often does in our culture, this story can free us toward liberation, toward embrace of one another and of difference. So we'll do our best. But we're going to start with the story as many of us have been told it. I tried to find a short, generic YouTube depiction (laughs) of the story as we tell it to children. There are a lot of problematic elements. Later, I will ask you about them, and you can shout them out. So I just want you to take note of what's going on in this story. Do we have it ready? Do I need to put this mic somewhere to cue it to? Now
1: listen, Adam. That was the man's name. You can eat the fruit, climb the trees, paddle in the rivers and jump over the bushes. And there's one thing you must never do. You must never eat the apples from the big tree in the middle of the garden. Because that tree tells you what is good and what is bad. Adam said, what's bad? Well, mind," said God. You go and have a nice time and forget all about that tree. God peeped out of the sky quite often to see how Adam was getting on, and soon he realized Adam was lonely. God thought he hasn't got any friends, no one to talk to. He'll become unhappy soon. So one night when Adam was asleep, God made a woman to be a friend for him. He called her Eve. Adam and Eve got on very well together. They used to play with the animals and eat lots of fruit from all the trees, except one, the forbidden tree. One day they decided to walk to the middle of the garden, and there was the most beautiful apple hanging from this special tree. There was also a big nasty snake in the tree who said, Hey, why don't you two eat that apple? It's the nicest, biggest, juiciest apple I ever saw. Adam looked worried. We're not allowed to, God said so. Oh, don't worry about that, said the horrible snake. Have a bite, go on, have a bite. Adam looked at Eve, and Eve looked at Adam, and the apple looked lovely. Eve tasted the apple. Go on, try it, she said. Adam had a bite. And at once felt ashamed because he hadn't any clothes on it just happened that god was walking in the garden that day and when adam and eve heard him coming up the path they ran to hide god was very angry when he found them you have eaten the fruit haven't you he demanded adam said they had but explained that the snake said it would be all right God told the snake that he was going to be the nastiest animal in the world. And he told Adam and Eve that now they would know everything about good and bad. For what good it would do them? And he turned them out of the Garden of Eden and said they must look after themselves. Flaming sword to make sure nobody touched the tree again.
0: All right. So, fun times. What did we notice about that? And, and I just heads up, this is a real question. I really want you to shout out with your voices some of the things that you noticed that stood out to you about that video. God was white. God's super white. So are Adam and Eve. And I don't know if sunscreen's been invented yet, but that's going to get really ugly in the Fertile Crescent soon. Like, Northern Africa is not the place to be that white and naked. Adam did all the talking. Adam did all the talking. Mm-hmm. Adam is allowed to have nipples and Eve is not. Other things we noticed. I heard something over here. God is what? God's a person. God looks exactly like the human beings. What do we got? So here we have this story that that very much looks like the, uh, the white... Uh, it sounds like British, right? They're talking about trousers, um, white British um, kind of class delineated space that is telling that story, is recreating it in its own image, and 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 definitely interpreting it through all of its own existing culture, right? We have what is originally a Jew, like an ancient Hebrew story set in the Middle East. Um, and if we're going at all by our own science uh, about where human beings came from, set in Africa, actually. Uh, and, and yet we have blonde God, blonde Eve, who doesn't get to talk. Um, we have uh, these kind of doofy humans who are just kind of putzing around. We have kind of a, a, an evil God who says, hey, here's this thing, don't touch it oh, you touched it? I'm angry now. I'm kicking you out of your home, and and you have to take care of yourselves now. And it's a complete rejection by God, out of God's anger at the disobedience. Now, there's the the reference to the knowledge of good and evil, but there's there's no explanation of what that means or how that impacted Adam and Eve other than God's wrath. And so this gives us some pretty disturbing origins for our our construction of our ideas about who God is and who we are in relationship to God and why we do bad things. Because if this is considered the original sin and the original evil, then I think it doesn't actually answer the question, what is the origin of evil? Because why did they say yes if it was so wrong? Was that something inside them? Was that something that the serpent did to them With in this video, the, the hypnotic eyes? Is the serpent the source of evil? Are Adam, are Adam and Eve completely off the hook? If so, then why would their cruel God cast them out of the garden when they had been victimized by someone else? There are a lot of problems in this story and the way that we tell it. And some of these problematic elements that are cultural to our own interpretation then spin off. They begin in these cute cartoons that we're like, oh, that's so silly. But then they work their way into our adult imaginations. And it tells us that human beings are bad, ultimately bad. That we messed up way back in the garden and that, that stain is with us and we are evil. Especially women. This works its way in, sometimes explicitly in teachings, that Eve was the one who was tricked by the serpent and somehow that reflects on all women. I remember being in college and having um, some incredible women in my life. And one of them uh, was was talking to me and she was just saying, you know she was a person who struggled um, with with uh, various elements of mental health and uh, had a lot of anxiety and and insecurity and self-doubt. And she's an incredible person. and so um, this this ward within her. And so she was telling me, you know, I just, I I feel so susceptible to lies and I'm so glad that I have my partner um, to tell me the truth. And I was like, oh yeah, he's a really great man. Like that person that you're with is really incredible Um, and I'm so glad. Uh, But you know, you have good judgment too and you're connected to God. You're, You're an incredible person. You're a person of faith. And she was like, well, yes, of course, but you know. I'll always be more susceptible to lies than him. And I said, well, well, no, I mean, you're going through a dark time right now. And she said, no, because I'm a woman. We, if we learned nothing from Eve, we know that women are more susceptible to lies uh, of the devil. And so I am so lucky to have a man in my life to tell me the truth. And so these are the insidious ways that these myths, we think, you know, I hear that in your voice, that, oh, oh, right? It's creepy, it's gross. But that interpretation is just baked in more subtly in a lot of the ways that we tell this story to children. We have to unpack that. We have to reject that. We have to say that is not the way of God. That is something that we have imported in our culture. This idea that God is a wrathful, angry God who is still just like mad at us for this one mistake, we have to get rid of that. This idea that we are, are, are still being punished for the sin of Adam, which is really the sin of Eve, which is really the sin of Adam listening to Eve because no one should listen to women. We have to reject that. And some of these other things that really don't come from the story at all, but we take these pieces and pull them out and assign meaning to them. For instance, how many of us have heard, always in a hateful tone, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, right? That's not in that story really even at all. Concepts of gender, especially as we understand them now, are not really from that story. That's something that we've imported, to say, oh, we understand this, men and women, they go together, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And again, we've taken this creation story, the one that we tell to children, and we've turned it into heterosexism and homophobia. We have to do better. This is quickly turning into a horror story, is it not? And so, A lot of us say, hey, what if we just walk away from this? Why would we bother? This story that has been so used as a vehicle for hate, this story that has been twisted, this story that keeps us oppressed, why not walk away from it? And the answer is because this story can be beautiful. This story was given to us as a gift, and we have abused it. As a culture, as a people, we have used it to hurt one another. And so, as with all stories, not even just biblical stories, all stories, we need to find the ways to tell, to talk, to interpret, to share, that are liberating, that bring joy and life, that point us toward God and not toward our own falling, that point us toward one another and not toward this, this division that says these are the right and wrong ways to do it. We have to reclaim these stories and figure out where we come from because we will always have those questions of who we are, who God is to us, and where evil comes from. And so this is the story we were given, and this is the story we need to reclaim. I want to tell it to you in a particular way today. Today. And the basic premise for this interpretation apparently originates with trans legend and gender theorist Kate Bornstein. It was, re- it was recounted in a sermon delivered by a mentee of Kate's, UU spiritual activist Alex Captan. And the sermon of Alex's was later related to me via my network of queer clergy colleagues, which is exactly how myths form, right? Through the sharing of story, through culture, through interpretation and reinterpretation, telling and retelling. This is a very queer myth I'm about to tell you, and I hope that it does what good myths do. It expands and grows and is told and told and told as we find different angles of meaning. So I want to tell you my version. Now, I want to start by saying that even the Bible has multiple versions of the creation of the world and of human beings. So the part that I'm telling you is based not only on Kate Bornstein's interpretation, but Kate Bornstein's interpretation of Genesis 2 and 3. There's a different one altogether in Genesis 1. So if anyone, again, if anyone tells you that there is one creation story or one way to read the Bible or one meaning to a story that we hold dear, they are missing a lot. So I'm going to tell you one interpretation of one of the stories we have from the Bible about where we come from and who we are. Our God. Our God who is creative and wild. Our God who is three and one, who is together and separate. Our God who is a God of of paradox and, and joy and creativity and togetherness. Our God wanted to build something. And so she did. She, out of the chaos, out of herself, formed the land and the sky and the stars and the water, and she directed their paths, and she, she grew things, and she, she wanted to grow something specific, so she went to the earth, to the earth that had been formed out of the chaos, out of her chaos. She went to this earth, and she gathered it together, this earth this dust. The name for it was Adama. And she formed it into a shape, and she gave it a mouth, and she kissed that mouth, and breathed in her breath, her life's breath, her spirit, which is called the Holy Spirit, breathed into that mouth. And from that dust, that dirt, that Adama, this creature now full of the breath of life, arose. And she said, Adam, hello, I have made you. You want to hang out? So she invited Adam into this garden that she had grown. And she said, I want you to, to till it and take care of it. Everything grows here. Everything you'll ever need to sustain yourself grows here. And I want you to take care of this garden with me. And so the Adam was like, cool. This is literally all I know. Great. But then, as time went on, God saw that the Adam needed some companionship. She said, it's, it's not good for you to be alone, so let's, let's make you a partner. And so she, she got back to her creating the way that she had created other things. And, and she created them, and she said, here, you can name them. You see them for, for what they are. You name them. So he met the first one and named it Ladybug and the next, and called it a gecko, and the next he called a sheep. There was relationship and joy and particularity because the Adam could see each of these things for what it was and call it by name. But it was clear that there wasn't yet an equal for the Adam. And so God said, okay, all right, that was a good try, but I want to try something different. I will make you from you the way that I made everything from me, from my chaos, from my deep waters. I will now make from you another you who is truly your equal. So she put the Adam into a deep sleep, pulled out a piece of the Adam, the rib, and created another, another earthling, another dirt person, which is what Adam means, made from Adamah, the earth. And so now there were these two earthlings, these two dirt people who woke up together. And the first Adam said to the partner, At last, at last, you are flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And there was so much joy at being close and yet distinct, of being apart, an individual, and yet with and from one another, for one another. And in this way, We know in our own context, this is why we come together in love and people become one flesh together because we are all of one flesh. We return to our point of origin and find one another together and yet distinct in the same way that the God who created us is three and one. We, God's people, God's earthlings, unite with one another. Find our flesh, the flesh of our flesh, to be close to one another and yet ourselves. And so God celebrated with these two creatures and said, this garden is yours. Work together. Do this. Live this life. I provided for you everything. And so they hung out in this garden. And in the garden, there were fruits of all kinds. I like to think that these fruits each held different ideas and promises, that some of these fruits held joy or sorrow or mathematics, or quantum physics, or falling in love, or rigorous debate, or color theory and poetry. Now, God was a wise God, and so she knew that one of these trees might be dangerous to her earthlings. It was the tree of the fruit of good and evil. You see, this tree had an idea that was very tempting and seductive to her earthlings. It was this idea of binary, that some things are good and some things are evil, and that those things are directly opposed to one another. And so, one day, connected to the, the flurry of life in the garden, chatting with the animals, the snake, the serpent that they were charged to take care of, the two earthlings did decide against the recommendation of their beloved God to taste that fruit. And when they did, they learned of binary thinking. They learned of either or, of good and evil in opposition to one another. And they began to categorize everything. This was different than the naming that they had done, that joyful naming that came out of a relationship that says, I see you and I give you this name that is yours, that is for you. No, this This was different. There were two options always, good or bad. They didn't start with all of them, but eventually they they made many different binaries. From good and bad came black and white, came man and woman. We see this play out in our culture in so many ways, male and female, civilized and uncivilized, straight and gay, white and black, able and disabled and on, and on, and on. And with that binary, with that sense of one or the other, fell away all the nuance and complexity. Things had to fit, and so they were reduced. They were less than they were before. And with that binary came hierarchy. One of those categories was always better, which meant that one of those categories was always worse and subject to the other. And this was the origin of evil in our world. This good or evil, not complexity. This pain came from all of that nuance falling away. And we were left with just this simple, stripped down, empty either or. Because that either or came with hierarchy, it came with judgment. Male was better than female, other things were better than other things, good was better than evil, and with judgment comes shame. And so the Adam and the Adam's partner, they looked at each other and they saw some things that were good and some things that were evil, and so they covered themselves in their shame. Their carefree understanding of one another as complete and complicated human beings left, and now they only saw what they liked and what they didn't like, what was good and what was bad, and so they covered themselves in shame. And their God came upon them, hiding in shame, and was confused for a moment. said, what are you doing? My perfect beings, why are you hiding? And God sensed their shame, And she was devastated. You ate from the tree. You were seduced by this idea. And you can no longer see one another. You can no longer feel the garden around you. You can no longer experience the fullness of life because you have chosen to reduce it, to fit into this this idea you have, this good or bad, this binary thinking. You have lost so much. And she was deeply and profoundly sad. She didn't kick them out of the garden. They couldn't see it anymore. And so she said, you live in a desert now, even though I made for you a garden of flourishing. And she said, not as a punishment, but as a truth spoken into the world, you, Eve, who was named life, bringer of life, you will now be subject to Adam, the Adam. And you, the Adam, you will toil and there will be pain. And you will experience death because you have chosen a way of death. You no longer live in paradise because you can't see it. God knew what these binaries do to us. What this concept of some are good and some are evil does to our spirit, to our sense of reality. Do we experience this in our own lives? It is so instinctive in us to categorize one or the other, to fit people into boxes, to fit ourselves to try and make sense of the world around us. When Alex preached their own version of this story, they noted, Whenever we meet a new person, we are trained to make a split-second decision about what they are. White, black, able, disabled, rich, poor, male, female. We are stuck on the illusion that all people are one or the other. That this information somehow helps us make sense of the world and helps us stay safe. Because with that shame and judgment also comes fear. And we live in fear of one another that someone else is bad. Maybe we live in fear that we are bad, that we have to prove to ourselves that we can fit into that good category. But these are lies. These don't come from the garden and they don't come from our God. We know that. Black and white, no such thing. Male and female, sorry fam. Science is in on that. And it's not what we thought. Sexuality, Uh, fluidity anyone? It's like looking at light itself and saying there is light and dark when we actually know better that there's a whole spectrum of light in there that we can filter it and bend it can make it appear in many ways but inside we know there's a whole rainbow in there we used to be able to see that rainbow we were made to see every piece of that spectrum and yet we've chosen what is simpler what is easier and it hurts us this is the way of death. And with it comes misogyny, heterosexism, homophobia, transphobia, and ultimately racism, white supremacy, ableism, and more. This is the way of death. One of the binaries that caught the Adam and Eve was the binary of life and death. Because God, who is a gardener, knows that life and death is a cycle, that we live and we die, and we go into the earth, and we live again. And that this cycle is ongoing, and that this cycle actually is for life. But the Adam and Eve, they were tricked by this binary thinking. They were tricked into thinking there is only life and death, that they would live, and then they would die, and there would be nothing more. And they live in that fear. They live in that shame. And that is a shame and a fear that we have inherited. And so we cannot see the thriving of life all around us. We cannot see that some death actually is for life, that some things are for birthing other things. And so it is anathema to us thousands and thousands and thousands of years later when we see our God show us, I will die and I will live and my life will bring more life. And I offer that life to you. The cross that you are so dreading, the death that you think is final, is not. There is life in it. There is no either or. Death becomes life, and life shines like that rainbow, that spectrum that you can't bear to look at anymore. And so our invitation is not to come back to a garden we've been cast out of. Our invitation is to cultivate life to awaken ourselves and one another to the fullness of God's creation, to reject these mechanisms of death, these mechanisms of reduction that say we are less than and some are less than others. That's a very different kind of Adam and Eve story, am I Right? This is the way that we can retell. This is the way that we can reclaim. This is the way of liberation. We see our liberating God for who she is, for who they are, for who He is, for who he is. A God of complex identity that cannot be reduced to either or, that cannot settle for one set of pronouns. A God who wants the fullness of life, who offered it to us, to whom we have turned a blind eye, and who reaches out to give us newness, and new access. And so, as we are wandering in this desert that is also a garden, we must find one another. We must vision together, and we must reach back and reach forward into the fullness of that spectrum, of that rainbow on this Pride weekend, am I right? And not settle for light and dark when we can have the rainbow of it all. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, we have become so accustomed to reducing ourselves and one, one another. And we have been told that it is the way of things, that it is our punishment. And yet, God, you want so much more for us. You have offered us so much more, and you have given us the capabilities to do and be and experience so much more than that either or thinking. God, we pray that you and your truth would burst forth, that we could embrace the fullness of your creation, that we could see that throughout the stories that are told in your name, that we could reclaim them for life, love, and liberation, and never settle for crumbs. Amen.
1: I'm going to ask you all to uh, stand.